Welcome to the second ever episode of the Quacked Out Podcast with your host Charlie Folkstead and Reed Tingley. For this second episode, uh, we thought that a good topic would be to do a revisit of the 2019-2020 season. So we've ranked uh, all 14 games from last season from our least favorite to most favorite, and then we added... Then we averaged those out uh, to make our official quacked out podcast rankings. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to go through that. Uh, we're going to break down each game. And then at the end, we're going to wrap it up with our overall grades of the season. Yep. Quacktail podcast, and I'm Charlie, and he's Reed. Yes, we're we're back in yeah. Port in Portland, uh, and recording in person for the first time in maybe a year. Long ass time, bro. Like it's at least a year. I don't even know if we did one of these last summer. Um, but yeah, it's our big season preview or schedule preview, whatever you want to call it. One of the previews. We'll probably have more previews, maybe. Um, but we haven't recorded in a while, mostly because. Absolutely nothing has really happened um, that's relevant. I mean, realignment has, but that's like, I don't know. Realignment, you know, one thing will happen and everybody expects like the world to catch on fire and then nothing happens for another 10 years. So right now we're in the first of those next 10 years of nothing. Yeah, Um, it's been kind of a two-month holding pattern with Notre Dame that maybe could resolve itself in the next few months, but... I think until there's any news, there's probably better sources you can have to uh, get the day-by-day evolutions of that saga. And Um, I mean, uh, let's be honest, if we're waiting for Notre Dame to do something, I don't know how how reliable that is um, for any change to happen. But anyways, uh, there are other podcasts that talk about that that have actual information to give you on that front. We don't. We're here to tell you uh, what's happening in the world of... Oregon fall camp, which is we are deep in the heart in, um, and just kind of go over what this season looks like. Just kind of get ready for the season to begin. Um, I don't know. Maybe you do the same thing, but I kind of try to hold off for a long time in, in off seasons. I mean, obviously it's a little different when we do the podcast, but like I, I kind of try to hold off on like thinking about it, getting excited for it, because then I just get disappointed when I'm waiting for for months and months and months. Yeah, I definitely feel the same way. I think that especially with everything that happened at the end of last season, it was kind of nice to take a step away from it. And not to mention, we were talking a little beforehand, like the access hasn't been great to fall camps. Yeah, so a little bit behind the scenes in terms of like Oregon media. I haven't been going to uh, fall practices, which I did some of last year and I went to all the spring practices. Um, The access is nothing. Like... These journalists are grinding for any piece of information at this point. Um, you should still read them because that's the only information you're going to get. Um, but like, it's 
it's real difficult. We're getting even less access than when Mario was coach, and he was notorious for not giving a ton of access in the first place. So really the only way we people could get any less access is the chip times, when there was just straight up no no like media allowed to practice. Um, so the journalists get to go and like see the first 15 or 20 minutes of practice. Most of it is just like literal warm-ups, like players stretching and stuff. Um, but you, it is important for like availability, like see who's out there, see who's maybe off to the side injured. Um, a little anyways, special teams. <laughs> yeah, you get a lot of that uh, Joe Lorick work. In, um, but yeah, so, you know, there's just not a ton of information out there. Uh, we did get to see, like, I know uh, Bo and Ty are taking, like, the majority of QB snaps, like, shocker. Um, <laughs> I'm still one of those people who's ignorant enough to say that Bo Nix will be starting and that there isn't a real quarterback battle, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, I'm kind of there, too, at this point. <laughs> <laughs> like, unless, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm putting the odds at, like, maybe 95% Bo and, like, 5% Ty. Yeah, especially to start the season. I mean, I think we'll see how that first stretch goes, and we'll get into it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think going into the Georgia game, 95% Bo, I yeah. think, is definitely fair. <laughs> A quarterback battle always sounds fun. Until you realize you don't get to watch the actual battle. <laughs> you yeah. just have to wait. Um, <clears throat> so I, I guess we'll see on that front, but expecting it to be both. Anyways, we'll talk about some some more granular, granular roster level stuff first. But um, essentially, uh, I think one of the big overarching themes that we're getting out of this camp um, is that the team is in really good spirits. And I mean, you kind of expect that from a new coaching staff. Uh, but again, it's a box checked. It's something good that's happening. Uh, you're talking about these get real meetings. You want to, you want to touch on that? Yeah, I think that's something Lanning brought over from Georgia, kind of like showing more camaraderie in the team, getting to know each other in a setting that's not kind of centered around football. Mm. Um, and I think that it's been a really positive thing from what the players have said, you know, I mean, there's a lot of talk in fall camp, um, about like how ready everyone is and how like this is the season and everything uh and i think like you said it's kind of a box checker like it doesn't necessarily mean that things are great but at the same time if the team isn't talking like that after eight months of not playing football yeah exactly (laughs) like that's the things you want to hear so i think that's been good um for sure and like there's been a lot of discussion of unity and some Players also being a little more candid than I maybe expected about like the end of the Cristobal era and mm. like them preferring the new workouts that they're doing with uh, Coach Love for strength and conditioning. Um, and just kind of some discussion of like how upset they were about how the end of the se- the end of last season went with the two Utah games mm-hmm. um, and the Oklahoma game. So that's been interesting. Yeah, it's some insight you might not get if Mario was still around. Like, yeah, exactly. Critical. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I think that gave a little more credence to the fact that, you know, even though we saw some things in those final games, like there was a rift in the locker room that had a significant effect on how the season ended. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one of the more like concrete questions I have about the season going into it that emerged in those fall camp interviews, though, was who kind of takes over the leadership roles for this mm-hmm. team because... They lost a lot of guys from last year. I think the most notable one, I would say, is Verone McKinley uh, in terms of, you know, the leadership aspect of it. 
And I think Johnny Johnson, Jalen Wright, obviously were big. Kayvon, you know, kind of led by example and fired people up to a certain degree, but I sometimes wondered if he was the most unifying presence <laughs> on the team. Um, yeah. Which, and, and of course, I think Anthony Brown has to be mentioned just because as the quarterback, you take on a leadership role. He's of a some huge sort. locker room guy. Like they yeah. loved him in the locker room. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, what do you think about, you know, who kind of could step into that role? I think the most obvious name for me is Noah Sewell, like just off the top of my head. I mean, even going to Saturday Night Live when we were both there a couple of years ago, um, at this again, this was over a year ago now, and he was out there like leading campers in drills and stuff. Like you just don't really see that from a lot of players. Um, and obviously if he's doing that in the camp, you, have, you know he's doing it on the team as well. Um, so I really like that. I like some of the other um, – you know, shouts that I've heard. Bennett Williams is a name that's come up in that aspect that I'd really like to see. I mean, Nick, Bo Nix is an obvious one. Like, although he doesn't know, you know, he hasn't been allowed around the locker room as long as some of these other guys, like he's still in all likelihood going to be the starting quarterback and you need that person to be a leader, like unequivocally. Um, So yeah, yeah, those are kind of my main candidates. What about you? Yeah. And I think on the Bo Nix front, like, I mean, especially going into the Georgia game, he has a little more, like, street cred to his name, (laughs) given that he's been in this, you know, and, like, he's faced Georgia. He's gone through an SEC gauntlet three years now um, as a starting quarterback. Like, so, you know, whatever you want to say about him or, like, his decision-making, like, he's suited up for the games and taken the hits in them. Um, Many, many, (laughs) many hits. So I think that, like, that's going to give this team some confidence, hopefully, as, as a leader going into that game. Um, I think another big thing, and this kind of ties into another question that I had, is, like, what's this team's identity? And that's mm-hmm. partially going to be forged around the leaders. Obviously, Sewell, I think, is someone who's stepping into a leadership role. Um, and that flow combination, we'll kind of see how that works out. But I think two big guys that are kind of anchors up front are obviously Alex Forsyth on the offensive line. He's the guy, he had an interesting interview where he kind of talked about like how he felt this pressure to live up to the legacy that was left by Throckmorton Mm -hmm. and Shane Lemieux. Cause he was one of the big guys who was kind of on campus and getting rubbed off on by those guys a lot. So I think that He's a big, you know, he's going to be the leader of the offensive line along with Ryan Walk probably. And then Brandon Dorless on the defensive line is a guy whose leadership's been talked a lot about in this fall camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, I'm a big supporter of Brandon Dorless. So it's cool to have him kind of step up. And I think if those guys step up, that'll say a lot about kind of where this team sets the tone up front. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the obvious answer, getting into your identity question a little more, I think a lot of times when we think about identity, the identity of a team, we kind of, you know, look at the roster and naturally we sort of think about on the field, like where the strengths and weaknesses will be. With this team, there's so much in the up in the air right now. Like the obvious answer seems to be defense because we have a defensive head coach and so much talent on defense. And we know a little bit more about who's going to be playing on defense right now. But honestly, I don't think our best position groups are necessarily going to correspond to who the leaders are. Um, I mean, even last year, like we saw some problems in the secondary all year and Verone was probably our biggest leader. He was the first one we mentioned. Absolutely. um, So again, I I think in regards to identity, 
I mean, <laughs> the first thing I'll say about that is don't buy into whatever the coaches are telling you it's going to be. Like, I, I love Dillingham as like a, a young, energetic coach. Uh, if you get a chance to listen to his interview on the QB11 show, I know it was a long time ago, but that's it's kind of evergreen. Like, it's worth going back and hearing. For sure. Um, but he, like, <laughs> the things these coaches say in camp are the things every single coach wants to say in every single camp. Like, we want to, you know, put our guys in space, put our most explosive players in space. Uh, we want to be efficient with the ball. We want to, you know, be a <laughs> have a deep passing attack and, like, all these things. Uh, we want to be explosive. That's the big one. Like, yeah. every <laughs> offensive coordinator wants to be explosive. <laughs> um, so in that sense, I'm not really sure. But looking at the roster, like it's really tough to find deficiencies or like obvious deficiencies other than maybe the secondary just based on personnel. Um, but I think the front seven establishing itself on defense would be my most, my best guess at like what the, the leaders or the identity of this team will be. Like we're going to be a team who messes you up on defense. Yeah, I definitely would say I agree with that. I think that front seven is pretty easy to be confident in. Um, and you just apply like what we just saw Lanning do at Georgia and think like, well, the identity of that team was the front seven and Oregon's front seven's probably its most talented and experienced group. Mm -hmm. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, and on offense, I think like, I'm, I'm really excited to see what the identity looks like. I know there's yeah. been a lot of discussion about how good of a group this offense will be and how it will look finally departing from the Cristobal days. Um, and there certainly, I feel like is potential for this to be a really good group and, and maybe the best offense we've seen, uh, at Oregon since probably the Vernon Adams days yeah. in my mind, because I don't know, there just, there were some talented groups, but I think that the receiver talent was lagging behind for the past five years, really. Yeah. And finally this young group has kind of taken hold there. Uh, and obviously we need to see them prove it, but that's exciting and, and hasn't quite been there. I think um, the running back room we'll get into, but looks good for sure. There's a lot of options there. And so there's room to work on this offense for sure. Uh, and I think the scheme, uh, it feels like Dillingham really has authorship over uh, in a way that, you know, it seemed like there were always kind of the head coach was, holding the reins a little bit under Cristobal and, and it mm -hmm. feels like landings kind of not as uh, micromanaging that side of the ball. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, he's not as dedicated to a, a quote unquote identity or something like that. Uh, I right. hope, which, um, you know, again, he hasn't coached the game yet. So all these right. good things, all this like good, Kanzano recently wrote an article about this. He was like all this good street cred that landing's been building. Like, yeah, that's cute. You know, the barbecues and everything, but like he hasn't coached a game yet. Like don't get too attached to this guy. Uh, you know, Oregon fans more than any should probably take that one to heart. Yeah, um, no doubt. <laughs> but uh, anyways, so um, the next thing we want to talk about, like expectations for this team. Um, the win total around nine, depending on where you get it from, uh, for regular season, obviously. Um, I think 10 wins is a win in any like coach's first season on the job. Um, it bears mentioning as well, like since we're talking about landing, Briefly, like the amount of college football head coach hires that are successful are like less than 50%. Yeah. Um, 
just just keep that in the back of your head, like <laughs> when you're when you're thinking about having a new head coach. Like I have confidence in Lanning. I I do think he'll be able to turn this program in the right direction, but um, or at least keep it going in the right direction. But I mean, there is national title talk amongst the team, and like I don't know if that's something I can take seriously in the first year of something like this. Yeah, I totally agree. I think like that's kind of another one of those notes, though. It's I think, you know, competing, a team mentioning a national title is one of those things that it you shouldn't take that as like, oh, that means this team is going to compete for a national yeah, title. Yeah. But it's like, oh, if the team is in that mindset right now, that means like they probably feel pretty good and like will probably be competing for the conference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you kind of want to table those expectations a little bit, um, especially when you haven't seen anything. And I think on the new coaching staff front, it's obviously kind of like an assessment of whether it's, you know, this coach is going to be able to succeed in year one uh, against the fact that like the roster isn't a typical year one roster mm-hmm. for a coach. And so I think it'll be interesting to see like whether in a better scenario Lanning will be able to do well. Um, and if he doesn't, you know, he'll really have no one to blame but himself ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I do think a good gauge for what an expectation should be for a season is like a you know a media poll at the beginning of the year. Like at the very you know on, at face value, it tells you what <laughs> you should expect. Like yeah. it's not a forecast, it's not a prediction even necessarily. It's just telling you like, hey, this is what the basic finish for this team might be. Uh, so. Second in the conference is where we landed in that Pac-12 media poll. Like, I can envision a scenario in which Oregon finishes third in the Pac-12, doesn't make the conference title game, and I would still consider it a successful season. Like, being competitive in the Georgia game, being competitive in the Utah game, you know, maybe we slip up somewhere else along the schedule. We'll talk about the schedule in a little bit. Um, But again, this is a first-year head coach. Like, it's really hard to cope with that because we have so much talent on the roster. Um, but that's the reality, whether or not we like it. And guess what? There'll be more talent on the roster next year and the year after that and the year after that. So, um, yeah, I don't think a window is closing necessarily right now, um, especially with the transfer portal option. I mean, we got Bo Nix, who's starting caliber quarterback in the power five. Like that's, that's pretty, that's a pretty solid pickup. Um, but you know as well as anybody, like there's talent in this team. So second, feasible, certainly. Uh, but third wouldn't be disappointing to me necessarily. Yeah, I feel the same way. Kind of going into this season in general, um, I would say I feel kind of more comfortable than I have in a while. Like I think that with the Cristobal years, as it ticked on into year three, now year four, now it's going to be year five. You know, it was like, okay. Let's like mm-hmm. really see this vision start yeah. to come together. Um, and I think with Lanning, like you said, you know, I feel comfortable in the roster that I don't think I'm not that worried about this season kind of like really falling off a cliff and Oregon going, you know, worse than eight and four, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but the I'm also lends itself to success. For yeah, sure. right. Exactly. And I just think, you know, the roster is pretty good and it's a lot of guys who kind of know what to do. Um, so I think there's a chance for things to click, but I think it's also just a time to learn some stuff about the team, uh, and 
you know, realize if things don't go perfectly, it's still year one. Uh, and even though, you know, it'll be tough to swallow losing guys like Noah Sewell and Justin Flo and Brandon Dorless, maybe it's also, you know, there's plenty of talent around the corner that has this team set up to compete in the future. Yeah, and I mean, you look at polls in the preseason, again, just kind of an expectation, not necessarily reality, although the number does go next to your name. So <laughs> when, I, when we're kings of college football, maybe that would disappear until week eight or whatever it is when, when the playoff poll <laughs> yeah. drops. But um, it, we're all over the map as expected. Like I've seen some people put us in the top 10. Your guy, Josh Pate, had us outside the top 20, which isn't great. Um, you know, 11th in the AP. I think we were like 12th in the co- coaches poll. Yeah. If I remember coaches polls. Like that thing is a joke. Um, <laughs> like, Texas got a first yeah. place vote in the coaches poll. Like, come on, people. Um, a lot of times, I think their SIDs actually just fill that out. Yeah. Like the actual coaches don't even do it. So it's insane. Um, but again, yeah, it's, it's like the coaches interns poll. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like, hey, can you do this real quick? Like, make sure you don't put us too low. Like, um or too high. Uh but anyways, yeah, I'm I'm not super worried about this season falling off a cliff. If it does though, again, like it's one season out of a you know, college football is not a sport where you can just take one season's results as canon for exactly how a program is doing. Like it's a sport that moves very slowly in terms of uh teams getting better or getting worse. Um you know, there are some teams who will move up and down pretty fast, but in general, like you can you can turn things around over time. Yeah. Um, so again, we'll see what the benchmark is after this season. I think that's what makes this fun for me and less anxious is just I'm excited to see a lot of these new pieces plug in. Um, and then on top of that, it's like we don't. You know, we, I'm pretty comfortable with a variance of like, maybe this team best case could go 11 and one. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's going to be really difficult as we'll get into. And like they could go eight and four and I'm not overly invested to the point that like anyone's getting fired. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Based on either of those outcomes. So, yeah. I mean, unless there's something like super deficient, like for example, if the O line for some reason is like trash this year, I think Clem can get the boot. Cause like we're very, you know, we'll get into this in a a second, but like very confident in the offensive line, I think. Um, And we, we've seen what they can do already with these exact players. So um, speaking of those players, let's get into like some of the guys we think are going to have impacts real quick. Um, who are, you know, you put it uh, in our notes as like, who has a star on NCAA 14? <laughs> I love that. Pretty soon it won't have to be NCAA 14. We'll get the real game right. back next summer. Um, but anyways, I think Sewell, Bass, and Doorless are the three you had on there. I think that's a great shout. Um, I wouldn't really move any of those guys. Well, maybe I would... I would move Bass down, but I, I, I'm not sure. I don't know yeah. what his exa- – I know he's, like, NFL projected, but I don't remember what round, really. Sewell, I can definitely see. Like, he's borderline first-rounder, which is not always the case for an inside linebacker. For like, sure. He might be the best linebacker in the country already, but we'll kind of see there. Um, I like your one tier one and a half as well. I think that's a great way to put it. Um, Christian Gonzalez, who – by the way, I, we were talking about this before, and Dane Brugler, who's a big NFL draft scout, yeah, he does his uh, beast for the athletic every year, big list of draft prospects. 
Uh, he has Gonzalez as his second cornerback in the country right now, um, which is super high praise. I mean, he was uh, all Pac-12 honorable mention last year, I think. I think that's right. Yeah, I'd have to double check, but that sounds right. Anyways, though, I mean, easily a top two or three Pac-12 corner coming in at the, yeah. at the very least. Um, so we have high expectations for him. Uh, Flo and Cardwell also, I mean, you can't argue with those. Like Flo, maybe some people could say like he hasn't proven it yet. Cardwell, I do really think like is solid, but I don't know. Maybe I would switch out a, a receiver to be in one of those positions. Yeah, I think my thinking behind those three names were kind of, I think they're guys who I could easily see elevate to tier one mm-hmm. um, this season, you know, and we'll get into the tier after that in a second. But I feel like I think of Sewell, Bass, and Dorless as these locks that are like really assert their identity on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Gonzalez and Flo and Cardwell could easily turn into those playmakers. But obviously, we haven't seen that much of any of them at Oregon um, in terms of, you know, starting a, a large portion of games there. So I think mm-hmm. by the end of the season, if things go well, I envision them um, definitely competing for that first tier. And then the tier two guys, um, and this is only a, a two-tier list or three, if you include the <laughs> 1.5. Uh, I had Bennett Williams, Alex Forsyth, Braden Swenson, DJ Johnson, uh, Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton, and Bo Nix. So kind of a mixed bag there. Uh, I think Forsyth, you know, just based on his experience alone, I think he's that kind of impact mentioned as an impact player. Uh, I think that he just brings a lot of unity to that group. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw how much he was missed in the time he was out last season. I think Bennett Williams, a guy I'm really high on, uh, who I think and expect to have a breakout year this year. Swinson and DJ Johnson stepping into the pass rush role. I could see one of them, you know, push for double digit sacks this year, potentially if things go right. Uh, Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton, and this team's looking for a wide receiver one. Um, and the talent is obviously there for both of them. Uh, so it's just about, you know, can one of them or both of them really step up? And if so, that will have a huge impact on this. And then Bo Nix, the quarterback, yeah, have to have him on there. <laughs> yeah. And I think that there is we're, – we're going to see how he looks in the Pac-12 and in a better situation than Auburn, I think. Um, I think that there's potential for him to be – a very good quarterback in the Pac-12. I know some people are lower on him than that, but we'll see. You know, I'm <laughs> not making stops. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not making any bets necessarily about what he'll do. Um, but I'm also not counting him out uh, from being a, a really good quarterback. In yeah, conference. I mean, if he can be a top, we've talked about this on the last episode, which well, was months ago. But <laughs> um, I mean, it's still. My take is the same. Like, if he can be a top-half quarterback, like, the Pac-12 is really in trouble because we had a bottom three quarterback in the league last year. Yeah. Maybe a little bit higher. Um, And still won 10 games and went to the Pac-12 title game. So, you know, do with that information what you will. Uh, I really like the receivers being included, but it kind of transitions easily into this, this next segment we have of kind of roster question marks. Um, before we then get into the, the schedule stuff, um, I want to divide this into three sections of position groups you're, you're confident in groups you're questioning, like 
could go either way. And then groups you're like worried about. Um, I think the obvious examples for me are like, I'm very confident in the O-line. We've seen all these guys play at this point. It's like a two or three year returning starting line at this point. Um, and then I'm pretty worried about the secondary. Like there's just not a ton of experience uh, at each position. Gonzalez I'm really hyped on, but one corner doesn't get you very much help. Um, and we, we actively need someone to step into a role. Uh, it's not guys really chomping at the bit for like, you know, lower spots necessarily. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if you have yeah. more that you thought of. Yeah, for sure. I think what I'm most confident in probably I would say is the defensive line right now. Mm-hmm. And you could extend that easily to the front seven if you want to, you know, include those outside backers and assume flows healthy, mm-hmm. um, which we, you know, I, I don't even care to speculate on it necessarily because <laughs> I don't think any of the injuries necessarily indicate that, you know, he's injury prone, but yeah. we're just going to see what happens. Yeah. Um, but I'm really confident in that unit. I mean, I think that they could dominate games. Um, I was talking uh, with one of our mutual friends about uh, the comparing them to the 2019 team. And I honestly think this front seven is better than 2019 was. Mm-hmm. And that was a damn good defense. Yeah. Um, but the that was like a top five defense, right? Exactly. Um, and yeah, I, I kind of think it's better. I mean, you could go guy for guy, and we don't have to do that now. But I think it's closer, better. Um, obviously, the other side of that is the secondary, which this group, you know, it doesn't have Javon Holland obviously at the nickel, and it doesn't have as good of a cornerback too. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are big questions. Um, you mentioned the offensive line as something you're confident in, uh, and I'm, I'm confident in it, uh, in terms of like at a Pac-12 level, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think a question we'll have answered obviously early on is like, how good is this offensive line? Can they be a group like 2019 was, uh, mm-hmm. that really, you know, carried this team through conference play? And put them in position to win that Auburn game uh, against a defensive front that was really, really talented. Yeah, we don't talk about that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, They were dominating that game for three quarters. And it was due in large part to shutting down one of the best defensive lines in the country. Yeah, exactly. So I just wonder, like, if this offensive line could get to that level, then, you know, then it turns this team into a whole different beast kind of. Mm -hmm. Um, But we've seen them struggle in the kind of first last two years that this group has kind of molded together. Um, So them taking a step could certainly is one of the looming questions I have for this season. Yeah. I think the biggest question has to be quarterback though. I mean, no matter how good your O line is, we we saw it last year at a lot of points, like if you can't throw the ball, you are screwed. (laughs) Um, So, and I'm not necessarily worried about it. I'm not necessarily confident about it. That's why I created this third section in the middle of questions. Like, like you wrote down in our notes, like it could be kind of a Vernon Adams type thing where Nick's is able to escape pressure. I mean, we've seen him do that a lot in the SEC. He certainly had a lot of reps to do it um, under pressure. Uh, Or are we just going to see the same incompetence that we saw from like a Dakota Prukop or Tyler Shuck offense? Like, yeah, exactly. We don't know the answer to that. And anyone who says they have the answer, 
doesn't. Yeah. yeah, and I think that goes either way, right? I mean, that's why it's a question. I think mm-hmm. people frame that as like, well, he's not very good. I, I think there is a world where he is good. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and it yeah, does the Pac-12 click. is a bad conference. Yeah, it's and it, unequivocally bad. <laughs> it could be, you know, a Vernon Adams type of thing. I believe that. Um, and part of that, the, I think the last thing I'll hit on is obviously what made those Vernon Adams Adams' offenses go was that was the last time we had really talented wide receivers at Oregon. Honestly, (laughs) Um, you know, not to discount the guys that we've had the past few years, but uh, obviously we're returning to or exceeding that talent level, even at least in projection with Thornton and Franklin coming in. Um, And yeah, so I think that wide receiver room, there's optimism there, but it's still a big question mark for me because you just have to see the production uh, and see who, if anyone, can step into kind of a wide receiver one role uh, and really kind of be counted on week in and week out to produce. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think we really need to speculate who that might be at this point. There's a lot of different candidates. We've mentioned some of them already. You can go look at a depth chart if you want, like, we don't know the answers until they hit the field. And that's and, okay. And we don't have enough fall camp information. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> get the answers from that. So we will see week one, basically. Yeah. Um, anything else on the roster? You want to you wanna dive into the schedule? I think we can dive into the schedule. Yeah, let's do it. Sweet. Um, obviously, format is a little bit different this year for Pac-12 play. Um, no more divisions, mm-hmm. or at least there are for scheduling purposes, which is fine, I guess. But... In general, you play your games. Whoever has the best record, they play each other at the end of the year. I like this format a lot more. Um, when it was released, they had like the historical implications of what it would have meant. And I think Oregon would have made like two more conference title games if this had been the case over uh, or with against Stanford yeah. instead of like over the, the South winner. So anyways, we all know who's playing week one. <laughs> do you want to just go go through this week by week? Like, yeah, let's do it. Let's let's get down to business here. Um, <laughs> you similar attitude to the Ohio State game last year. No matter how you slice it, you just can't predict this. Or I mean, you can't expect this to be a win. You, the listener, are welcome to predict it <laughs> as such. You are welcome to bet your own money on that. <laughs> um, I. I think I speak for both of us in saying that this podcast will not be predicting and expecting a Georgia uh, beating Georgia in Atlanta on September 3rd. Um, line's currently at like 17 and a half, 18 points, depending on where you get your spreads from. Um, but there are some plausibilities as to why Georgia might be a little bit weaker than the team that literally won the national title in their last game. What are some of those potential weaknesses, you think? Yeah, I think to start with, like, you look beyond just, like, the nameless, like, face. Like, you look beyond just the uniform of Georgia, you know? And, like, thinking of them as just, like, Georgia defensive robots. And get into, like, (laughs) who are the actual players? And it does happen to be that a lot of the guys that, like, actually played the snaps, made the tackles for Georgia a season ago... Um, are gone now. Like yeah. on on defense, they really return three and a half technically starters, four guys that were really, really, you know, basically played as starters with rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, guys like Channing Tindall. For yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Uh, Keely Ringo and Christopher Smith in the secondary, um, and then Nolan Smith, who was ranked one spot ahead of Kayvon in twenty nine in the yeah twenty nineteen recruiting class. Um, 
edged him out for the number one player ranking. So we have a little bit to be bitter about there. Kayvon <laughs> in the NFL now, I'll mention. <laughs> Nolan Smith had to stay Not next yet. year at Georgia. Um, and then defensive tackle Jalen Carter. Um, those are, I mean, you can't say anything bad about those four players, but it is important that they only have four of them who are really known commodities returning. Uh, there's a bunch of talent, of course, to reload this team, but you know, I was I was looking at a Georgia preview site and they're talking about, you know, what are the bulk of tackles that are returning from this group? And it's of the top 15 tacklers from last season, only five are back, uh, four of which are the guys that we mentioned. Um, and they say those only account for 18% of the total tackles that Georgia had last season. Mm-hmm. So that leaves a lot of tackles left up that weren't made by guys on this roster, you know, um, certainly they're all talented players again, like you can't disparage (laughs) any of that, but I, Oregon has some advantages here just in the fact that they're lucky to catch them week one. Uh, and I think that Oregon has a, probably one of the best pairings in the country of personnel and a coach that will be able to simulate what they're going to see from the Georgia defense mm-hmm. in practice. Yeah, I mean, no one in the country <laughs> knows more about Georgia's defense than their former defensive coordinator, I would think. Um, I mean, maybe Kirby, but like you said, I mean, there's <laughs> I, what I wouldn't give to be like a fly on the wall in these Kenny Dillingham and, uh, <laughs> and Dan Lanning like meetings talking about Oregon's offensive strategy coming into this game. Like um, it's just the amount of insight that that landing has, like you said, is going to be off the charts. So I do want to temper it a little bit. Yeah. Here's what we're not saying. <laughs> I do this sometimes. Yeah. Uh, we are not saying that Georgia's defense will be bad. I, I think right. that would, <laughs> I think there is a very, very, very low percentage of that being the case. Um, however, they might be slightly worse than the greatest defense of all time, which is what they were last year. Um, but just a reminder that like scale wise, we're talking about a team getting worse from the best defense of all time. Um, so, you know, we'll temper that a little bit. And like we already mentioned about Oregon, I mean, we don't know how good the, the offense is the biggest question and our quarterback is the biggest question. So you really don't know what we're going to get from this offense. Um, and I think that's why the line is as high as it is. Yeah. Obviously, this is probably the worst possible scenario in which to figure stuff out right. <laughs> for a first-time <laughs> offense. Um, but we will see. Um, so something else. Uh, you, you mentioned the comparison against the Auburn defense. This O-line group, it, you know, that's a good <laughs> – you don't want the offensive line to be a question mark coming in. Um, right. I think if you had to make any position group a question mark, like – Ideally, it would be your skill position guys, just because, I mean, if they're fast, they're fast. If they're not, they're not. <laughs> um, but, uh, and if, like, they can either catch or they can't. Like, it's, it's, yeah. that's pretty much it. Um, but, again, with the quarterback being as chaotic of outcome, how do I put this? Uh, with the quarterback being the least, being Stable the biggest variable. Yes, yeah. that's a great way to put it. <laughs> um, we really don't know what we're going to get to. Um, but... As we also mentioned, Oregon has a great defense. Stetson Bennett is still Georgia's quarterback. Obviously, mm-hmm. he won a national title. Yeah, great for him. He is not going to be going to New York. I don't care how many Heisman odds <laughs> have him as, like, number five. It's not going to happen. I'm sorry, you guys. He does not have the arm talent to do that. 
Is he a decent, great game manager and decision maker? Like, sure. The real threat from Georgia is their skill position guys. Yeah. And as you mentioned in, in this in these notes, like they do lose some of those guys. Zamir White being kind of the most obvious one, and George Pickens, the wide receiver. Zamir White was their starting running back. Um, but there's one position group on Georgia's <laughs> offense that that gives me just just a little bit of trouble. And maybe you want to talk about which one that is. Yeah. Yeah, the Georgia tight ends are I mean, not only are they the best tight end group in the country, they might be are, the best position group in the country. Yeah, might be the best position group in the country, might be the best tight end group of all time, might have a better tight end room than some NFL teams. Quite like it's plausible. <laughs> yeah. It is a ridiculously talented tight end room. Um I mean yeah, it's so, no no two ways about it. Like literally, any of these guys would start. I think they have three guys who might start at any other program in the country, except for like maybe there's like five that you would, yeah, if that. Like they probably have three of the top tight end, ten tight ends in the country. I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I think they would. Each one of these guys could start on a, on certain NFL teams. Already. Yeah, like they're they're nuts. Uh, if you don't know their names, it's Brock Bowers, Eric Gilbert, and Darnell Washington. All three of them are starting caliber, and they all play like a lot of snaps. They, they actually all complement each other really <laughs> yeah. well too, which is the very frustrating part of it. Like they actually work really well together as a group. So whatever deficiency you have in the wide receiver room, which Georgia doesn't even really have one. They had two no. significant receivers who are leaving, but they still have a ton of receiver talent, you know, like pretty much exactly the kind of receiver talent that all the Oregon fans are so happy about Oregon having. Like Georgia has that and then probably more. Yeah, remember that, that talent you know, stacking that, we were yeah. talking about earlier with Oregon? Like yeah. how I'm not worried about our talent coming in. Georgia's doing this except with the number one class, the yeah. number three and, class and they've been year. at that game for like... 15 years now as opposed to like five so um Um, they're gonna be good is our point and the the kind of bigger context around this and what the odds makers are looking at when they set the the 18 number is uh you remember what Oregon really struggled with defensively last season kind of the, the big weakness in in this defense that lost us two games towards the end of the season was the tight ends, yeah. uh, specifically Utah's. Yeah, Brant Keithy and all them. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll see how that goes, I guess. But uh, Jamal Hill, really, really need you to, <laughs> to be able to defend some guys. You know, try Quez, use that length. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> like Bennett Williams, y'all got to be ready because there's no easy way to defend these tight ends. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you hope that the scheme is a little improved from what we saw against Utah because, as many people documented, I mean, the first game was bad. The second game, lack of adjustments, was inexcusable. Yeah. It was almost like the staff was going to leave in three yeah. days. Um, <laughs> it was almost like we couldn't defend no matter how much we wanted to make adjustments. Um, and... So you hope, you know, I mean, Dan Lanning obviously has a good reputation for his ability to scheme defensively. I think that plays a role in trying to combat these tight ends. And then, as you mentioned, another part of it is just individual guys taking mm-hmm. on the challenge. Tri-Quiz Bridges, Jamal Hill, Brian Addison, Bennett Williams. Like, those are guys with length. 
that are just going to have to be annoying yeah. and like make plays. Um, and the, the one, you know, thing I can say that is with a somewhat hopeful tone, I know I've been kind of a downer on this entire episode so far, um, but this is the exact same attitude we had towards the Ohio State receiver room last year. Um, and <laughs> There's no kidding there. <laughs> like, guess what? We still found a way to win that game. Um, I wouldn't say we shut down their receiver room exactly. I don't really <laughs> We survived. I think the only thing that ever did shut that receiver room down was literal snow um, yeah. up in Ann Arbor that season. But um, I, you know, I guess we'll just have to hope that <laughs> that Lupoy and company can figure out a way to stop them. Yeah, I mean, there's no way we can look. There's no way on paper that we can look at it from here and say that we know how to stop their tight ends. I think that's totally true. I mean, versus Ohio State, it felt like the clock ran out kind of on those receivers. Was part of yeah, the best play another defense. quarter in that game. Yeah, um, which I'll take. And you no, know, no one, no one did it as well as Oregon did without the aid of snow that year. So it's true. I mean, no, you can't. No one take, did it at all. Without the yeah, you can't take it away from them. And in, in regards to that, I think. I mean, the other answer to stopping the receivers last year obviously was. Oregon actually got some push and got some mm-hmm. pressure. Um, yeah. And especially towards the end of that game, you can, I rewatched it yesterday, just reliving some of those highlights. Oh. And those Ohio State tackles, plenty talented, are holding on for dear life against yeah. Braden Swenson and Brandon Dorless and Brandon Buckner for a few snaps and DJ Johnson switch, switching over. Yeah, yeah, getting that game. sack at the end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, so I think that's the one thing is, you know, the spreads mean something. No one knows more than Vegas, right? Yeah. But I think also it's it's not that Vegas always knows things. It's that they're trying to put their best guess out there. And mm-hmm. they have a lot of information to make that. But ultimately, you know, the, the game's going to be decided by, like, yes, all the things you're going to hear about. Bo Nix needs to stay composed. Oregon needs to score in the red zone. Oregon needs to win the turnover battle. Like, yeah, that's true. But that the game's only going to be competitive if Oregon can get a push on the mm-hmm. lines of scrimmage. And yeah. that's ultimately a lot of what the 17.5 point spread is, is people just don't believe Oregon's necessarily going to have any answers to Georgia up front. And I can't say that that's wrong, but mm-hmm. I will say, like, We've seen, we've heard that going into the Auburn game and going into the Ohio State game, and Oregon stepped up and like answered some of those questions and held their own in those two performances before. I think Georgia obviously is amping up to a new level of test in a lot of ways, but having a strength along the line of scrimmage for Oregon is where you give yourself a chance even to win yeah. this game. A yeah. chance to be competitive and to have it mean something if Bo Nix plays a good game. If you're getting blown off the line of scrimmage, Bo Nix can be he can be Bryce Young if he wants to. Yeah, yeah. Like, you're still not winning the game. So we'll see. You know <laughs> the yeah, the ultimate bottom line at this point. And we'll go we'll go even deeper on this Georgia game once the actual game gets a little bit closer. Which is like a couple weeks now, man. It's actually crazy. Um, but anyways, it, within the context of this season for Oregon, what does this game mean, right? We can do a little bit of what we like to call narrative forecasting. We did a little bit last year. Like, if Oregon gets blown out in this game, what does it mean, right? 
Yeah. It, it, you know, Washington fans will be saying it's an abject failure and that <laughs> Lanning is not the answer and that, like, Oregon was so out of touch. Even if we lose by, like, two scores, they're still going to say, like, oh, we, they were so out of touch that they couldn't even, like, you know, put X amount of points up. Like, they didn't even cover the spread or whatever. Yeah. If we do cover that spread, um, I'm, I'm fine with that. I think that's where I would put my money in all likelihood, like, is... Oregon on the spread in this game. Um, I think it's the type of team that's talented enough, even in the depth, even with our depth pieces, to get some points late, even if we are getting blown out. <laughs> Which, again, full disclosure, like we are playing the defending national champions yeah. in Atlanta, Georgia, <laughs> where they—it's basically a home game for them. Um, but again, if we win, I mean, let's not. I think I'll take the same attitude that I did towards last year's Ohio State game. Again, like, if we win this game, do not think that we are a shoe-in for the title or the playoff or whatever. Yeah. There is a lot of work to be done with this team. And, again, first-year head coach. Just like the chaos we had with Anthony Brown, like, there's a lot of chaos that comes baked in with having a first-year coaching staff, not just head coach. Like, yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Are your, your expectations any different if we no, do differently? No, they're not. And I would say the same thing. You know, I'm trying to find a case here and a reason not to, like, just concede the game before we even kick off. It's, <laughs> like, it's where I'm coming from. You know, it's like I, we all should know at least Georgia's on a different level and, like, you know, that game against Auburn being competitive – in 2019 yeah it's a comparison i guess but i mean like look at what alabama did in opening games against usc yeah. or michigan <laughs> where like it's those are comparable spreads top 15 <laughs> top 20 team waltzing in against a top three team and they just get Waxed. murdered yeah. for four quarters like lose by 50 you know yeah i mean that <laughs> auburn game where we keep mentioning was like a three point spread i think yeah. three and a half right that's it's, not this what is this a lot is more. Yeah. yeah um yeah exactly uh there's only small pieces of that auburn team had a good front seven at least but it was nowhere near the kind of complete team that georgia is gonna be um yeah i think so yeah obviously that's a big <laughs> possibility coming out of it i think you hope Again, drawing back to like, you know, what Oregon had last year with a win, what Oregon had in 2019 with a loss to Auburn and these kind of big tests. Both, well, I guess both times. I think in, in, with the Auburn game, despite it being a loss, I think the team came out of it with almost more confidence than they did last mm-hmm. year, or maybe not more confidence, but a healthier mindset. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, last year, I think probably gave them a lot of confidence and maybe overconfidence. Yes. Um, <laughs> It wasn't the the issue that they didn't have any, but I think you hope that you can get something similar out of that. If it's somewhat competitive um, and Oregon, it it will be a reason to think like Oregon can really roll through the rest of this um, and compete for the conference at the very least. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I wrote in here, I said, you know, I'm not saying that Oregon's going to win the next 11 games by any means. It would be a long shot for them to do that. Mm -hmm. But if it's a close game versus Georgia, that's going to be the mentality of this yeah. team. Yeah. You can guarantee it. Even if it's not, like, they'll still say it's one loss and right. we still got a shot at the playoff if we win out. 
Um, and that's true to be transparent, you know, if you win out, it's a big if, but like, I do think that it sets up well for, you know, George is probably going to do some business in the SEC East again this year. And yeah, have you looked at George's schedule? <laughs> it's Bro, it is like the grind of an SEC schedule. Like usually I push back on those things, but dude, this year it's, it is Charmin ultra soft on that schedule. Yeah. So, I mean, just really broadcasting ahead and we'll go through the schedule in a second but like there's there's room to for narratives to change and for Oregon to make up the ground with the schedule that they have and kind of you know some things do set up well for Oregon with a pretty winnable conference slate um Mm -hmm. and a lot of big games at home and and I guess no better time than to kind of get into what involves this Georgia game and, and take through the rest of the schedule. Yeah. So, I mean, speaking of uh, second game, real, we'll go real quick on Eastern Washington. I don't think we really need to do any sort of personnel preview. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when you're playing an FCS team, I would hope that uh, your entire roster is better than their entire roster. And I, that's pretty much the case here. Um, don't call anything a disaster against Georgia unless we lose by like literal triple digits. Yeah. <laughs> if we lose to Eastern Washington, you can call that a disaster. Yeah. Um unequivocally. Like that would that would be Montana level like implosion. Um I do you have any other thoughts on Eastern Washington or what? No, I mean okay. I think it, I, I think it's nice to have that game there. You know, yeah. I think it's probably a good uh, kind of scrimmage to have, I guess, after the Georgia <laughs> week and give you some time to heal up, hopefully. Yeah, I would actually be real scared. I mean, we can talk about BYU now. Like, I'm a little bit fearful of this BYU game, and I would be way, way more fearful if it was the week after Georgia. Like yeah. you said, that we get that bu- FCS buffer in between is really really nice in this case yeah for sure i'd be scared either way honestly i'd be scared even if we beat georgia and it was the week after i'd be scared of a letdown versus byu like who the hell knows you know it's just nice to have that buffer um and yeah i can talk a little bit about this byu game uh i think for them it comes an interesting spot they have a rematch of baylor who they played last year Mm -hmm. um who's coming to provo and BYU is a one and a half point favorite right now. Really, uh, this is according to FanDuel. You know uh, that that's they had the most lines up for all these games, so yeah. I just went with them. Um, but that's pretty interesting. Baylor's ranked tenth. For those who don't know, I think Baylor's probably a bit overranked from a power rating perspective, maybe, yeah. and just the talent they have on their roster. So probably a team that BYU you know, wants to play scrap for scrap rather than, like, scrap versus talent. Um, it's really hard to go and win in Provo and ask any Pac-12 team, yeah. really. Like. Yeah, right. So that's a big difference, too. That certainly helps them. Uh, offensively, BYU actually was pretty interesting reason, reading their preview. Uh, they have a quarterback who's mobile guy, Jaron Hall. Don't know that much about him, but there seems I've to heard be some the optimism name. there. Um, but they have a few familiar Pac-12 and Oregon-linked yeah. fa- faces. So Kingsley Suamatia looks like he's going to start at right tackle, obviously former five-star transfer from Oregon. Then their running back uh, is Christopher Brooks, who played four years at Cal. He went for 600, in, uh, 600 last year and went for 900 yards uh, in 2019, the last full season because of the COVID season. Solid, you know, I mean... Look, going for 900 yards, that's no joke, right? I mean, yeah. respect for that, obviously, but at the same time, like, 
I don't know. You know, <laughs> he was a mid-level Pac-12 running back, if we're being honest. And yeah, it's 14 just, carries for 68 yeah. yards in last year's game. Yeah. Right. It's just, you're, you're not going to... Uh, he sh- you know, it's, it's, that. it's yeah. just the, it's the type of thing where like I was reading this BYU preview mags and it's like oh yeah and we have the big power five running back coming in like game breaker and it's like you know to Oregon it's like okay that's uh, yeah, that's the good. average running back we face every week. Yeah, you know, if not, good, good player. But <laughs> um, and then their lead receiver is Puka Nakua, who crazy, was man. recruiting battle between Oregon oh, and uh, Washington at the end. Played for Washington in 2019. Had that big touchdown catch to open the second half of the 2019 UW game, uh, and then since transferred to BYU, he went for. Uh, 953 total yards of offense in his first season really? in Provo last year. Wow. That's good. That's yeah, really good. That's really good. Because BYU is an independent, some of their stuff just like disappears. Like they're yeah. invisible a lot of the times. Unless, right. Unless they have a guy like, uh, was it Zach Hill a few years ago? Was that his name? Uh, Zach, well, not Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson, yeah. yeah. Oh, Zach Wilson. Um, like, I mean, <laughs> I'm Taysom just saying. Hill like, was more Taysom Hill, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I combined them. Yeah. <laughs> But, like, that's what I'm saying. Unless they have a game-breaker like that on the roster, like, you're just not really going to hear about him. Yeah, um, exactly. Like, Algier, their running back last year, he was insanely good, but he's in the NFL now. Right. Um, so, yeah, I six-and-a-half-point spread on this. I'm not yeah. super worried about BYU. Like, their defense, as you have down here, like, they didn't – they weren't elite last year. It's always not tough to all. compare a team like this because they play such a weird schedule. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the benchmark is, like, they beat all five of the Pac-12 teams they faced last year. None of them were elite. I mean, I, they beat Utah pre-Camp yeah, Rising. when which, Utah wasn't really count that. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't say they beat any elite Pac-12 teams. But still, like, that's something you have to consider. And they're going to come in thinking they can do the same. Yeah, exactly. I think they won a lot of close games versus mid-level to mediocre Pac-12 teams last year. Mm-hmm. And that... What that tells me is like, yeah, this is a legitimate game in that it's one of the, what, six or seven games I chose to highlight on this schedule to yeah. say that, you know, there's a chance that Oregon loses these seven games and mm-hmm. there's a chance they lose to BYU. But in my mind, it's like BYU's really a mid-level Pac-12 team. They're kind of like somewhere between Washington, maybe UCLA. Yeah, maybe Washington State. I mean, they. I think they won twenty-one to nineteen versus Washington State last year. It's not like they're <laughs> not impressive. So in my mind, it's like, well, no one gives us any credit for beating Washington State, and we're basically playing, you know, a notch above Washington State. But we have the chance to get credit for a ranked win because of it. Yeah, I mean, like, so if they beat BYU, we have a chance to get credit for a top, or beat, if they beat Baylor the week before Oregon, we have a chance to get credit for a top twenty fifth. Top 15 win, depending how it goes. True. And it's Um, the type of thing that in, like, during that, you know, after that game week, you'll be able to contextualize it still. By the end of the year, when everybody's frantically arguing online, (laughs) you're not getting into the nitty gritty of, like, oh, this was actually, like, this rated team at the time, but now it's not. Like, um, they're not going to pick apart your schedule that much. So, um, you know, I, I think the best, the most obvious thing to say about BYU is they won nine or ten games last year. Ten games. And then lost in the Liberty Bowl to UAB. Exactly. That's who we're dealing with here. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, in my, it, I just view it as image rehabilitation and, like, a great opportunity at that. 
So I'm kind of just like, don't fuck it up. Get ahead yeah. early. Keep them at arm's length. Like, don't let them get confident and just have this defense and the crowd and everything kind of pile on and win this game by 10 points, you know, 17 yeah. points, whatever, and get out of it. I would like to make a grim prediction for the entire season. It's a prediction I really hate making because I treasure this very much. Um, but Oregon hasn't, we talk about it all the time, Oregon hasn't lost a game in Autzen since 2018 in that Stanford game. I think we're going to lose one this year. I don't know if it'll be this one. I don't know if it'll be Utah. I pray to God that it is not UW. Yeah. Um, maybe UCLA could be plucky. I hope it's not UCLA. So Carlos is in our mentions. I mean, I'd rather have Chip do it than like any of those other guys, to be honest. Yeah, that's but, true. Um, anyways, yeah. I Unfortunately, it's not something I, I want to have happen, obviously. Um but just looking at the likelihood of us running the table at home, like this is a really tough home slate. So it would be it would yeah. be really impressive to get out of this home slate alive. I mean, if you just look at these games, and it's a good thing, but like I have I listed seven games and we'll get to them, but like they're two hard games that are on the road, really. Yeah. That I think are legitimately losable, and that's Oregon State at the end of the season, and then parlay it. We can talk about the game after BYU, which is the Wazoo game. Uh, I think traveling to Pullman in week four is... Uh, Recipe for disaster. Yeah, it's a trap spot, <laughs> 100%. Uh, and really, I mean, <laughs> there's a dark scenario where the season kind of can go off the rails here. Like, Yeah, I agree. There, And I'm not predicting this either, like, in the same way I'm not predicting a win against Georgia, but there is a one in three start out there. Yeah. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, and either. it's not that hard to imagine. I mean, it's like you lose the game to Georgia that, whatever you want to say, you're a 17-point underdog in. Yeah. Don't surprise anyone to lose that. Yeah. Let down, you still beat Eastern Washington, of course. Yeah, but and shoot, then, maybe there's a couple injuries Yeah, exactly. There. <laughs> and then BYU game goes wrong. Okay, well, you know, that's a six-and-a-half-point spread. That could, that could happen yeah. for sure. You can sure. still keep the Pac-12 uh, championship game streak alive, right? Yeah, exactly. It's happened <laughs> to teams before us. And then all of a sudden, you're one and two, and you've blown. And you got to go to Pullman. you got to go to Pullman. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, like that's, that's, uh, don't like that one You don't bit. like that at all. Um, <laughs> so that's a scary thing. I mean, honestly, this turn... You know, I think you, obviously what stands out to everyone is, yeah, Utah game, Georgia game, those are the two biggest to open the season. Mm-hmm. But this turn of Wash- BYU into at Washington State is the scariest other That's the scariest two-week stretch. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think of the season. Um, and so, and it's sneaky in that way. You know, I think people kind of assume we're going to beat BYU maybe. At least Oregon fans, I think, have like a superiority about it. And <laughs> I respect that. I would, be, I would be lying if I said I didn't have some of that. Um, but I think, yeah, this Wazoo game, I mean, Oregon hasn't earned a superiority complex over Wazoo. No, we have not. 10 years. 10 years. Uh, there uh, so let's see, from 2016, or wait, was it 2015? The next four years, we lost to Wazoo. Yeah. Like, there were some yeah. players who came through Oregon never beating Wazoo. That's that's crazy to think about. I mean, Leach was real good against us. Yeah, um, for sure. Even that 2019 game that we were both at, like, dear God, we needed the last second field goal to win the game. Are you serious? Yeah, um, exactly. I don't think we covered Wazoo until, I 
think we might have covered them in the COVID year in 2020, finally. But that game was scary, too. We needed yeah. that, that Travis Dye uh, wheel route. Yeah, yeah that's right. The game like the open with shock. Oh, my God. <laughs> Um, even Jesus. last year, I don't. Uh, we might have sneakily covered last year. Maybe we missed out by like half a point or something. Yeah, it was another one of those games that we felt we should have dominated. And at the end of the day, you're sitting there and you're like, we were only winning by two scores. Like really. Um, I mean, and in general, like a theme of this season, I just don't want to feel that way this year. Hopefully, yeah. Like if we're, I just the. <laughs> The, the repeated feeling last year and in 2019 and in 2020 at times, I mean, 2020, I think we legitimately, Oregon wasn't that great of a team. But in yeah. 2019 and 2021, when at times I thought Oregon's really good and I routinely sat in games where I was like, how is this a two-score game right yep, now? Yep, exactly. <laughs> Dear God, how yeah. are we just like... A pick six and like <laughs> another bad play away from going to overtime. And that's what happened against Stanford. I mean, obviously, we were lucky it was a two short game the other way. At times. You know, it's funny, it's come to mention it. Uh, I feel the same way about that 2018 team as well. I wonder if there's some sort of overarching trend that links all those things together. Yeah, right. Perhaps it could have been a coaching issue. I mean, it would be refreshing to feel like in a, in a one score game in the fourth quarter where I was like, you know, this team just isn't that good. Yeah. And maybe we only should be up by <laughs> Like, But just, being up by 10 and and feeling like how with the yard disparity and the disparity of the line of scrimmage is Oregon not up by 21 right now is like a feeling I'm not going to miss. Yeah. So, again, let's narrative forecast for both these. I'm going to cluster these two games together because yeah. we just kind of talked about them in similar ways. Um, I just I want to feel – the happiness of beating the living snot out of another competent football team. Yeah. That hasn't happened in a while. Um, I would, if we do it in both these games, you got to feel real good about the rest of the season. If we even play them close, I'm still kind of walking on eggshells. I don't know if I can predict or expect a conference title at that point. Yeah. If we win comfortably, sure. Kind of on the same track. Um, If we lose, obviously like that. Yeah disaster scenario um and honestly we might be able to loop the the next game into this as well uh <laughs> our easiest home game of the season in conference play stanford yeah <laughs> week five they've never given us any problems right um yeah i <laughs> i, I kind of feel the same way about that uh although stanford are a worse team than byu and expected to be worse than wazoo like you know. They're expected to be really bad. But, I mean, we <laughs> can never really tell with Stanford. <laughs> it's been years of saying, like, Stanford's, okay, this year they're even worse than last year. They're they're really not going to. They're actually going to be bad this yeah, time, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this Stanford game's actually an easy win. No. So, it being in Austin, I mean, that helps. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, Although sometimes. I know <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't need to talk about Stanford and Austin, but um, yeah, it should should be, should be an opportunity uh, to pick yourself back up uh, and win that game, and hopefully exercise some demons from last year and a couple other times. Yeah. Um, so actually, let's group that one in with the next game. Um, nice little trip to the desert in yeah. Week Six again, 
historically been a problem for Oregon uh, and pretty much every other Pac-12 team for that matter. Um, these two games, like, it's a disaster if you lose to this Arizona team. Like, yeah. we've lost to bad – good, really good Oregon teams have lost to really bad Arizona teams in the past. But I think losing to this Arizona team would would constitute some sort of a disaster scenario. Um, yeah. Even if this is your first conference loss, I think losing that game is an indication that it wouldn't be the last conference loss. I mean, um, there's like... Even, there's, even if it's ugly and stupid. Among Pac-12 sickos, there's like <laughs> a lot of enthusiasm <laughs> among, about Arizona and Jed Fish. And Stop. It's, Don't do it. Like, you've been looking at... You've been waiting too... You've been thinking about football for too long in the yeah. offseason if you think Arizona is good. They lost to NAU last year. Northern <laughs> Arizona. Who was a mediocre... They were a bad, a bad like, FCS team. A bad FCS team. Like, Arizona is not good. Not yet. There's some positive trends that may manifest sure. in... Two or three years. It's not. Two or three wins. It's like, not this that's what, year. That's what yeah. their target is, is, two or three wins. So or, <laughs> there's no, you know, there's no silver lining if Oregon loses <laughs> that game. If someone's convinced yeah. you that that, that that wouldn't be that bad of a loss, it would be. And by the way, the same applies to Stanford if, if they're as bad as uh, a lot of people think they are. Yeah, for reference, uh, FanDuel actually does have the Stanford line too, and it's Oregon by 13 right now. That's it. Um, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't I, like that. Yeah. For for reference also, like Stanford has a pretty interesting schedule like before the Oregon game, like they play Colgate in week 1 and then USC in week 2, which like who knows, maybe they do the ultimate Stanford thing and like win those two games and then lose the rest. That would be of so them. great. <laughs> I would love for that's I guess I'm the ultimate Stanford sure. thing would actually be beating us still and yeah. those being the three wins on the season, but they have a bye in week three because like, of course they do. I, I want to say they're the only, yeah, I'm looking at my spreadsheet. They're the only power five team in the country that has a bye week three without playing in week zero. Um, oh my God. The only other team that comes, actually no TCU does as well. So sorry. Um, but that, that's it. So uh, whatever um <laughs> they'll play UW the weekend before us in Seattle so that's got to be a two game road tough two game road stretch for them but either way again like I grouped that one in with the Arizona thing like you should be winning that game at home on paper like yeah eight times out of ten yeah and I think in general like so after this is a bye week and I think in general like I look at this first six game stretch and I think you know, we all know what happens, like, yeah, after the Georgia, with the Georgia game. Like, we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's, even if it's bad or however it is, I think the nice thing about this is you have, like, a good mix of some fat on your schedule that you can kind of get confidence against mm-hmm. uh, in Eastern Washington and Stanford and Arizona, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and then you have BYU and Washington State, where it, for people who are paying attention, you can potentially kind of change some perceptions of you yeah, or yeah. validate that like, hey, we actually are a pretty good team. And and the team actually can say like, well, we kind of, you know, 
got beat by Georgia pretty good, but we actually felt like we played a good game. Like we actually, or we at least actually think we are a good yeah, team. Yeah, we can take some things from that game. And yeah, and it's like you don't have to wait that long for Oregon to get kind of another at bat and a chance to see if they were right or not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like about being confident. Um, I shouldn't. I don't think we mentioned this. Uh, forgive me if you did, but Washington State also plays. They play Oregon oh, week yeah, four, point. and they play Wisconsin week two. They're 13.5-point underdogs against Wisconsin right now. And that's in so, Camp Randall, which is yeah. a very tough place to play. So, tough place to play. That I'm I'm going to be super excited to watch that game yeah, week two, yeah. obviously, and I think everyone should be. Um, they We also didn't really say, but Washington State has a kind of, If you're wondering, like, why the hell do people think Washington State's good, they took this Division two quarterback – uh, Incarnate, Incarnate Word is that yeah. D two? It might it be FCS. I don't know, but um, Incarnate Word had really good offense at that level. Their quarterback Cam Ward, mm-hmm. uh, similar, <laughs> similar pronunciation there, I guess. But uh, he is <laughs> uh, he came in and also brought the offensive coordinator who was at Incarnate Word with him. So then, like I think a receiver. Is yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they're kind of transporting that offense in. There were some good signs last year already under Dickert after he took over, and so Washington State's expected to be plucky. you know plucky, uh, maybe sneaking into the top half of the conference. Uh, and I agree with those assessments. I'm I'm yeah. interested to see what they do. And obviously, in terms of perception, that week two game against Wisconsin will do a lot for how people think of them going into the Oregon game and how people think of the Pac-12 in general, maybe. Yeah, and there is precedent for this uh, super transfer portal, like, switchover working with this literal, like, thing. It was an offensive coordinator and a quarterback and a uh, receiver that were successful at the FCS level coming up and succeeding in the FBS last year. Granted, it was a Western Kentucky, but, I mean, it everything is relative to their competition, right? Like, yeah. They still came up from FCS. So it, it will be interesting to see how they play. Again, I think though it might be one of those scenarios in which we're reading into it a little too much just because me and you and people like us pay a lot of attention to off-season stuff when we don't always necessarily yeah. need to um, if we're just trying to straight up predict games. So um, well, it's, it's fun to pull up the YouTube and say like, oh, this offense looks really good yeah. in D2 and like, well, what if they were just transported to Washington State and kind of lose your mind about like yeah, what yeah. that would look like? Uh, so we'll see. But at least Washington State is going to be interesting to watch this season. And there's some reason to like be excited about the possibilities, I guess. Um, over under four and a half wins for these first six games of the season. Yeah, I think that's a good number. Um, I, I will go... I, I'm gonna go over, I think. Uh, but like, it's tough. It's like, tough. I I think that there is. In looking at it, I'm having a hard time seeing that it won't be four and two. There's just so many yeah. decent teams on the schedule. But again, like Oregon will have the talent advantage and will be favored in every single one of those games. Yeah. So I would not be surprised in the slightest to see it be five and one. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a tough line between those two. And like I said, I think like. I'm I'm a I'm more confident about a lot of these toss up or like not toss up but troubling games in the mm-hmm. second half of the season than I am about BYU and Washington State mostly because of just where they come and the fact that they're sandwiched back to back. Yeah, know? like I 
and we'll get into those. I mean, obviously, the Utah game's an outlier that I think is just legitimately a really hard game. Yeah, yeah. That's not like a we'll, touchdown we'll to 10-point spread. Yeah. But, like, in those games, I think these are two of the harder ones Oregon has. Yeah. Um, so, after this bye week in week six, right? No, yeah, week seven. Week seven sorry. Seven. Arizona week six. Uh, week seven is October 15th. That weekend, or week seven is great, uh, great time to have a bye because we'll be able to watch Utah host USC um, in the most, wow. arguably the most important game in the Pac-12 this year. I did not um, realize that that was how that worked out. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, there's, there's some pretty decent games that week um, across college football. But uh, anyways, back to Oregon. Week eight, all of a sudden you're in October, late October, the 22nd, um, and you're hosting a UCLA team who... Up until this point, probably should be a one-loss team. They probably should have like the same record as Oregon. I think it's safe to say uh, they have an absolute cupcake non-con. Yeah, all three of them. Then they play Colorado and UW. They might be Colorado. <laughs> might be easier than the non-con. Dude, honestly, Colorado <laughs> might be worse than South Alabama. I'm just gonna say. It. Um, UW, uh, they host in week five, and then they play Utah in week six before their bye, just like us, before this game. This is going to be a great game. I mean, this is the preseason third and fourth best teams in the league going at it. Um, or, you know, second and fourth, depending on yeah. what metric you use. Um, this is a big game. Uh, obviously, you get Chip coming back for the first time with fans in the stands. Gave us a run for our money the last two years uh, in both of those matchups. But, That's true. Um, again, this will be hugely important for the conference slate and for hopefully Oregon's playoff hopes as well. Yeah, I think by this point, you know, like through those first, what I think whatever happens in the chaos of the first four games for Oregon, they'll get their identity for two weeks first, you know, Stanford and Colorado by week. And this will be the emergence of like, Whatever the second half final stretch of yeah. for this Oregon team is going to be tone setter. Yeah, this is a tone setter. And you know, given those Stanford and Arizona games, I think it's worth mentioning. Like Oregon, even if they're four and two, even if they're three and three, they probably only have one conference loss, which means this yeah. team's going to be able to go in with a clear head to the bye week and say, if we take care of business, we control our destiny. We can win this conference to yeah. win the conference. Yeah. Um, so. That gives you a lot of reason to think, like, yeah, this UCLA game, the team should be locked in for, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of what to expect, I mean, DTR back, Zach Charbonnet back for UCLA. I think it, you know, but it's just, I have to say, like, a lot of people, I think, get tricked into that because people view college football or football in general from, like, okay, who's your offense? Who calls plays for you? Like, do you have a good scheme? Who's your quarterback? Who's your running back? Maybe, like, give me a wide receiver or something. And they kind of go off of that. Like, and I think people are tricked by that into thinking, like, UCLA is slashing pretty good. But I just think that the fundamentals of the program, like, Mm -hmm. what it's built on isn't that good. Chip hasn't gotten the investment from the players there Mm -mm. uh, or certainly not from the fans. Uh He actively tried to kick DTR like off the team this this summer and DTR stayed like (laughs) that's not a good culture. (laughs) I just think like, uh, yeah, so I'm, I don't know. And, and we talked a lot about what happened in the, um, 
UCLA Oregon game last season and my feelings that like the bulk middle of that game Oregon dominated in a pretty mm-hmm. significant way. Yeah. And I don't see much evidence in the lines of scrimmage and like you know the blocking and tackling uh <laughs> that UCLA is going to have caught up to Oregon at all in that regard. Uh, but, you know, I mean, DTR is a fun player to watch. Zach Charbonnet might be the best running back in the conference. Could um, be, yeah. Along with Tavion Thomas in Utah, obviously. And maybe Byron Cardwell at Oregon, hopefully. Um, so, I, personally, I think, like, this is going to be another hyped-up game. I mean, we saw it got game day in a very similar situation last year. And I'm looking at the slate right now across the country. This is a very big candidate to be college game day. Um, again, especially if both teams are five and one, I've, I'm having a hard time seeing this not being college game day. Uh, I think a it, lot of teams have bye weeks in week eight. Like most of the SEC is either playing cupcakes or it's just not like headline matchups. Yeah, yeah, man, this this very well could be. I would place a bet on this for being a um, a college game day slate. I mean, it depends, right? I, I mean, we haven't mentioned like we talked about the schedule a little bit. UCLA is easily going to start out four and zero, and just based on attrition of other teams in the pack in the top twenty five losing, might sneak into oh, the rankings. They'll be there. ranked, yeah. UW probably should be favored. Who knows what happens in the game? But we'll that game's in the Rose Bowl, though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the Utah game in the Rose Bowl. I'm gonna, you know, I'll pick Utah. I think Utah should be a solid favorite in that game, but. It's a road game. It's a road it's game. It's a road game in the Pac-12. Well, <laughs> I think we'll see. And I, I, don't... I think it's funny how every offseason, like, we as fans and just the media at large, like, in the Pac-12, we kind of start, you know, walking through, doing these exercises and looking at team schedules and walking through them going, like, win, win, win. When we have to remind ourselves, no Pac-12 team has ever won nine Pac-12 games. They've never done it, ever. Yeah. Not even the best Oregon team that made the playoff. Not the best UW team that made the playoff. Like, it has never happened yet. So what makes you really think it's going to happen this year? I don't know. Especially when there's three, arguably four teams who, like, have a realistic shot at winning the conference title. Like, yeah, I think the conference is more maybe even top-heavy than it's been in the past. I think that uh, there's obviously a few more free wins, maybe, than you know, there were back in the mm-hmm. day when when those teams were tripped up. Like, But again, are we just talking ourselves into this? Like, yeah. is it going to be another year where the Pac-12 is all middle class and lower yeah. class and no elite teams? Like, we just don't know yet. So, um, okay, I, I really, really am excited for that UCLA game. I think it's a night game. I can't remember exactly. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's to be determined, or maybe they flex it to a different spot. I'm not sure if they have the capability to do that. Next week at Cal, and the week after that at Colorado, I'm putting these two in the same bucket. Like, if you don't win these games at around Halloween weekend, like you're an unserious team at that point. Yeah. Um, at at that time in the schedule, at that time of the season. If you're not going down and dominating these games, uh, it's not good. And and both should be noted, both these on the road, which is... Makes a difference. Yeah. And, and it's nice, you know, but you take those two on the road and you get to... That means you get to keep UCLA and Utah and UW at home. Mm-hmm. And that's nice to have, definitely. Um, 
but yeah, it's, it's it's a tough place. You know, stuff starts going wrong. Things can spiral real quick. You know, again, Dan Lanning has never been the head coach. Yeah, he might not have all the. You know, maybe he doesn't know how to keep, get his team back up and motivated in yeah. that sense. We saw Mario fuck it up plenty of times. He literally lost to Cal on the road two years ago. Um, Absolutely, he never played Cal very well, did he? We, we no. didn't really have a lot of dominant wins over them. No, we didn't. 2019 game was awful. Couldn't have any offense. Yeah. The 2018 game, it was uh, Lamar Winston had the scoop yeah, the and scored. Oh, yeah, yeah, scoop and score. Um, yeah. yeah, so. Anyways, anyways. <laughs> we're getting carried away again. Uh, the, the real one, like, the fun part about this season um, is that even in our disaster scenarios, like, even if the shit really hits the fan before we get the car started, mix metaphors even more, <laughs> um, the three most important games, I think, are at the end of the season. You can make an argument that Georgia is the most important game, whatever. Yeah, depending how you want to view Georgia. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it has the most potential to yes, like alter important. our perception. Yes. But... It also has you could the highest likelihood to <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> um, the so, Utah. We get UW and Utah back to back in November in Austin. That'll be fucking awesome, man. That'll just be so much fun to have existing in Eugene. Um, and then you play OSU on a Friday in Corvallis uh, again. God, for the no. love of God, I am not confident about any. Well, I'm not confident about those last two games. Um, but the OSU one, they didn't lose a home game last year. Yeah. Period. The end. Um, and we lost the last time we played in Corvallis as well. So, uh, yeah, I think there's first up, go for it. Well, I just think there's a lot of, you know, with this schedule going through it, and I hope you guys are kind of looking, looking alongside us. Like, I think there's just a lot of ups and downs, opportunities to see where this team is, and then games that we should win and survive until we get to this final three-week stretch. But I think it'll be fun to kind of go through that with, and, like, have these opportunities to do well but also have a kind of baseline that keeps this team in the hunt at mm-hmm. least pro- in all likelihood. Um, you know, even if you split that Wazoo and UCLA game, let's say, and you win the games that you really absolutely should win. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, you're going to have one loss going into this final three s- stretch in conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, you know, a great opportunity with all that's going to be on the line here. And just a chance, like you said, like having UW and Utah back to back, I think it just has like this feeling of one of those magical like college football November. Yeah. That like, yeah. could be a really iconic end to a season mm-hmm. for Oregon. Um, or just for the conference in general, no matter how these things go, like they can change yeah. the. And you know what? I mean, it might not be the worst thing in the world if Oregon has two losses already when these three games come up. Because if you got two losses, you could really give a fuck about like what the national media thinks of this yeah. game. Like you could, I don't care like if College Game Day comes to Utah, Oregon, like right. at Austin, it'd be fun for sure. But like, I'm much more concerned at that point. Again, if we have two losses coming right. into any of those games. I'm much more concerned about the conference picture. Um, and it's it's fun that way. Like, again, college football is a regional sport. Like, yeah, exactly. No matter how much it doesn't seem like it in recent summer happenings, um, it it's still, like, fun to argue with people who are in your same region. And, like, 
I think I felt that way a lot about the Utah game last year, honestly. I felt like it was kind of this disparity of, like, one, Oregon viewed this as a national game, Mm -hmm. and, like, we're on the bright lights, the the playoffs are ours, like, that's what our players were seeing. And Utah was just seeing this team that had robbed them of a conference title two years ago Mm -hmm. when they really thought that they were going to get it, and they were like, We've never won this fucking conference. We're at home. Like yeah. we're gonna, which two of those teams do you yeah. think is going to be more yeah. focused? And it's like we're Oregon. gonna take off the top dog, and I think they really saw like that Oregon was their opponent, yeah. you know. And Oregon kind of just saw like we just want to make the playoffs. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so and, yeah, I agree. Like with these with these games specifically, like again, Oregon right now is favored in all three of them by single digits. Anytime you see that, you expect one loss to happen between three of those games. That's that's just kind of the way it works. Yeah. Um, I'll start off with UW. Uh, obviously, they'll have some bad blood <laughs> considering what happened last year and the year before that and the year before that. Um, Washington has a really interesting schedule. And by interesting, I mean very, very easy. Uh, at worst, like in a disaster scenario for Washington – they will have four losses coming into this game. At worst, this will be for them to make a bowl game. Um, so they're gonna they're gonna care about it regardless. I don't even think I need to make that point really. Um, the point I would like to make: six and three is pretty likely for a UW team coming in here. If not seven and two, and looking for a way into the conference title. Um, obviously, divisions don't matter anymore in terms of the standings, but. Um, the tiebreakers now are highest common opponent between two tied teams. Um, and then it's high, if that's tied for whatever reason, or it doesn't happen. It's like, uh, best record between the rest of the teams. Yeah. Something best record against the rest of the team. So anyways, this game will have conference implications on it. Like, yeah, in all likelihood, I think there's a greater than 50% chance that both teams will still be in the hunt for, a championship game spot at this point in the season. Um, again, the Oregon-Utah game hadn't happened yet up until that point. UW and Utah play in week... Uh, never. They don't play each other. <laughs> UW dodges Utah and USC from the south. Yeah. And that's about as good as it gets scheduling-wise uh, in the Pac-12. So... You know, they got that big game against Michigan State week three. That'll be a good benchmark to see how decent they are against a solid team or at least a competent team in yeah. Michigan State. They won't be as good as they were last year, but they might be decent. Um, that game's in Seattle, so we'll see what happens there in week three. But in general, I think this is – I'm really excited for this game, most of all, because the Oregon-Washington rivalry has – obviously spiked in recent years, yeah. most notably with that 2016 game, kind of kicking it all off um, in terms of hatred. Yeah. We haven't had a signature, like, Oregon versus Washington moment in Autzen since this rivalry has been, like, a huge deal. Well, the, well, the 2018. The, other than 2018, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what I meant to say, since 2018. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, right. When we... Kind of took the reins well, back. Well, we haven't even like, had a game since then because exactly. Was That's what I mean. Right? Like, yeah. um, so you know, it'll be a nice renewal of that rivalry. Yeah, right. No, that makes sense. Yeah, it's nice to have rivalry games towards the end of your schedule in general. 
it's kind of BS when like USC and Stanford have a rivalry in week three every year, like, or week two. Yeah. Like, that's too early. You know, you got, you got to make it hurt them more <laughs> towards the end of the season. Yeah, um, for sure. I think another part of that that's interesting is Oregon doesn't really have a lot of players that have tasted blood from Washington, tasted like their own blood from losing to yeah, Washington. That's good. You point. know, it's, I think Forsyth was there. I think Popo might have been there in yeah, 2017. Um, There's not a ton of guys. I mean, Ryan Walk maybe was there. Um, the receiver core, I don't think has no, any. No, definitely not. Uh, the running back room definitely doesn't have any. The quarterback room definitely doesn't have any. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, I mean, it, it, so I wonder and on how the flip side, a lot of UW players won't have tasted success against. Yeah, Florida. exactly. Um, so that's kind of an interesting thing. Obviously, having won the last three and then having the COVID gap year, it's yeah, it's been since 2017 that Oregon's lost to UW. Um, so I wonder how that will affect it. You know, there was a lot of obviously there was a ton of anger uh, in 2018 on Oregon side and a kind of once in a long time mutual anger in 2019. Yeah. And both teams were fired up and like wanted to prove something and it showed up in one of the best games in the rivalry's history. Yeah. Um, and we got our evidence last year that even when one team is good and one team is bad, the hate is still there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but now, you know, no Verdell, no Die, a lot, just a lot of those old pieces are lost. Mm-hmm. Um, Jalen so, Red, notorious yeah, scorer. Yeah, against exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I think we'll see. We'll see how this goes. Uh, it'll be a fun game for sure, though. And having it be in November that latest is super fun. Um, the eyes of the Pac-12 will be on this one as well. I'm not seeing like another huge matchup. Uh, anywhere else in the conference so yeah that's a good point for sure oh, yeah it's the only matchup between top whatever top half teams yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, i think yeah the next game obviously with utah is i mean you could say the most important game on the schedule obviously depending how you evaluate those rivalries mm-hmm. and how you talk about georgia um no game is that's close to spread as Utah yeah, is yeah, on Oregon's entire, entire schedule. For FanDuel, it's Oregon uh, minus two, two-point favorites. But I've seen other places where Utah's a slight favorite. It, uh, this one's a coin toss. Yeah. This one really is a coin toss. Uh, and no one really knows. I mean, I, there's obviously a great argument on Utah's side, which is we played them twice last year. and but, not yeah, twice. <laughs> yeah, and it looked pretty similar both times, and it wasn't very good for Oregon. <laughs> um, but a lot can change in a year, obviously. It, it's Utah's returning a lot, uh, not everything. Obviously, losing Covey's big, losing Lloyd and Sewell and at the linebacker room is huge, along with some defensive linemen. Um, but, you know, I mean, they return Kincaid. They return Clark Phillips, who's probably... Uh, the only guy who has a good case as being a better corner than Christian Gonzalez mm-hmm. in the entire conference. KV on Thomas um, and Cam Rising obviously are yeah have a good case for. And it's not like it's a hangover year for them. I mean, they're still hungry for blood. Yeah, um, <laughs> they still got Cam. They still they still got Whittingham, of course. And they're ranked in the top. I think they're seventh right now in the AP. Uh, yeah, in the AP yeah and, still got the coaches' poll numbers on the spreadsheets. <laughs> and so, I mean, Utah's legit. 
uh, 100% they're legit. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, that's a game I kind of, I really want to go to that. It also could be, um, game day, you know, I mean, it definitely could be, uh, we'll see if they take the UCLA game or, but if not, I think there aren't that many great games in that week 12, obviously. When's the last time we played Utah in Autzen? We didn't last year. Didn't in 2020. We, I think we played them in uh, 2017. In 2016, they killed Oregon. Yeah, before. that's what I was so thinking. So we went to play it in 2017. That was like the real falling 20, off a cliff moment for Oregon's program. 2017 was the Darren Carrington year in, in, in Utah. Utah. No, that was 2016. That was 2016. That was Herbert's freshman year. Okay. I think. Yeah, because it was like we yeah, weren't going yeah, to a bowl right, that year. Right. So, um, so maybe it was 2017 that they beat us. Yeah, no, it was. It was 2017 because it was with, sorry if this isn't good podcasting, no, but it was the, they're probably uh, the same movie. Braxton Burmeister. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's right. That they yeah. murdered us. They put 60 on us. Yeah. That's the last, so that's the last time they played in Autzen then. Definitely. There you yeah. go. There's some added re- narrative sprinkle on top. And certainly, you know, the Autzen crowd will be. Uh, I don't know if excited is the right word, but anxious to play Utah, uh, opportunist. Drunk, I think Drunk. is the word you're looking for. Drunk. Um, yeah, man, that's going to be a great game. Arguably the game of the year in the Pac-12. Again, depending on how USC does, depending on how Utah and Oregon both do. Um, but certainly, like, if you're just writing down the list of, like, biggest Pac-12 games before the season starts, this is number two, easily. Yeah, yeah. A top two, at least. Um... All right, and then we go to Corvallis on a short week, the day after Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, Yeah. so this will be on Black Friday, which means it'll be on the same day that uh, America play England in the World Cup. Really? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Crazy stuff going on. Great sports day, for real. Let's hope they get the timing right on those two. Yeah, well, let's see. I hope I can handle a dual monitor. I'll do the math on that, but... Uh, (laughs) But, (laughs) yeah, I think... I mean, these... You know, obviously, I would say, with these last three games, it's it's a lot easier to do a fun, like, in-depth breakdown of Georgia because it's two weeks from now and we're not going to get that much more new information. (laughs) It's kind of pointless to get too far into the thought experiments about what UW and Utah uh, and Oregon State will look like given that they're... Four months away. So, um, obviously, it won't be as in-depth with that stuff, and we're going to cover it extensively as it approaches. But I think that um, this Oregon State's going to want to win this game badly, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I don't think everyone on this schedule looks as Oregon as looks at Oregon as, like, the biggest game on their schedule or their Super Bowl necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think some teams like it look was at last Utah year or, or USC. Like, like, yeah, like it has been in recent memory. But Oregon State still looks at Oregon as their Super Bowl probably. Yeah, uh, definitely. And it being the last game of the season and then getting to have it in Corvallis. Especially um, more so, I mean, these realignment discussions matter to people yeah. outside the program, but probably players inside the program too. Like they look around and say, why is Morgan being mentioned as going to the big 10 and all this stuff when, you know, they want to keep comparing themselves to us. Right. Um, yeah. This is their chance to do it. And I will, what we can say about this game in all likelihood, uh, it's fun to have this game mean something again. Oregon state is a legitimate threat for the PAC 12 North or sorry, the North doesn't exist anymore. Like, 
if but they, potentially for the conference title game. Yeah, I mean, that's what I meant. Depending yeah. how things break, obviously. You but USC and Utah back to back, so that's tough. But if you get yeah. out of those with one win, and then you can conceivably beat the other teams on your schedule coming up to the Oregon game. I mean, could be interesting. Could be real interesting. Yeah, for sure. The Beavs have an interesting start to the schedule. Um, I would say that's the other piece of this is is it's pretty front loaded. In those first five weeks, they play Boise State at Fresno State. Is that then, a away game at Fresno? Yeah, I think so. Wow. Uh, then they play uh, USC at home and at Utah for those first five weeks. They're Montana State's right in the middle to break those up, um, <laughs> which isn't hard. But those are on the Bobcats. Those are four, maybe four of their five hardest games. Yeah, uh, they're. I think all those teams are receiving votes in the AP, which you couldn't say of wow. uh, anyone else on the schedule besides for Oregon. Um, yeah, that's true. So, yeah, I mean, potentially <laughs> four of their five hardest games in the first five weeks of their season. Uh, so at one stretch, it's let's all tune into Oregon State early and we'll learn a lot about them. On the other stretch, it's they have a big runway heading into that Oregon game where they can uh, potentially gain some conference confidence, uh, potentially improve their standing in the conference, improve their perception nationally, um, and just prepare themselves for this game against Oregon. Yeah. Uh, and so that'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, it's still Oregon State. They're still, still what, deep. sixth, seventh in this conference right now. And so... Mm-hmm. They're not quite to the level where you can assume that they will certainly go undefeated through all of these Wazoo's and Cal's and Arizona State's and you know what have you. Um, but they're looking to take a step up, and they're one of the handful of programs in this conference right now that are trending upwards. You know, yeah, and one of the ones that has, I think, um, they're at least talking about going to a conference title. Yeah. Um, Jonathan Smith Smith has been mentioning it. I think this is his fifth offseason at Oregon State, if I remember correctly. Um, And, I mean, they should be. They beat Utah last year. They were the the only Pac-12 team that beat Utah with a a healthy Cam Rising, playing Cam Rising. Yeah. Um, So there's, you know, if you're the Beavers, like, you're getting better in the offseason. You didn't get any worse. Like, I don't see a reason for them to be any worse than they were last year. Even and that was a seven and five team. So yeah, I mean they need to reload at running back. There's some optimism about their defense, I know, and I think we'll you know we'll just see how they look during this season. We'll learn a lot about them through those that first stretch. Um, Keep one eye open on the Beavers. Yeah, and right now for reference, that line is Oregon by seven and a half. Um, Obviously, figures to change over the course of the season, but similar territory to where it was last year. Yeah. I think it was like nine or eight or nine coming into last year's game, and that was in Autzen. So we'll see. <laughs> Plucky little beavers. In general, after going through this schedule, are you feeling more or less confident than when we did the the win totals episode like a couple months ago? Yeah, I, um, I think I. I don't know. I talked myself, yeah, the same maybe. I talked myself into the Georgia game not being like a total concede in a way that I think at various points in the off 
offseason, I was like, I wish we just didn't even play that game. <laughs> and I still yeah. feel that way to a gr- degree, but I'm kind of excited to see it now and have like a sliver of hope that Oregon is going to be competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, BYU and Wazoo, I still think is hard, you know, I, and that end stretch is hard. I feel good about the UCLA game for whatever reason, probably because we've won like it's nine just UCLA, man. Them. Like yeah. decent Oregon teams don't lose to UCLA. Yeah, and not in Austin. Um, yeah, so I'm feeling nine and three or ten and two, uh, probably. Uh, and I think there is a world where it's eleven and one. I mean, I will say like the last two full stretches of conference play from Oregon, 2019 and 2021. Oregon lost one game really close in 2019. Obviously, there were a lot of other close games that they could have lost. Um, but the Arizona State game was the only one that they actually did lose in 2019. Yeah. And then last year, he got killed by Utah at the end of the season, obviously, and lost the conference championship game on top of that. And then lost a really weird game to Stanford um, that shouldn't have been close, shouldn't have <laughs> lost. But, like, didn't have your offensive coordinator, didn't have your center. Yeah. Really, some really Shit bad happens. calls on the last drive. Missed a goal line pitch that would have been seven points in the first <laughs> end of the first half. And the list, the list goes, goes on. on. <laughs> like, so, it was bad. But in terms of projecting forward, like, yeah, Oregon kind of took care of business. The last two times we've seen them, Oregon's taken care of business for the most part of the teams they're better in than in this conference. Um, <clears throat> getting tripped up once, you know, mm-hmm. in the last two times and both in weird circumstances that were close. Um, and the question for me kind of is, like, you compare this group to 2019, like I did at the start, I think. The defense is similar overall, a little better front seven, a little worse in the secondary. But the question is, like, is this offense, for me, going to be able to put enough separation in these games that they are controlling, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's not a 10-point game versus Cal or Wazoo or whoever? Uh, If the offense can click that, if the offense looks like Vernon Adams here or, you know, at least closer to that than it has the past Mm -hmm. few years, and the defense is... Even, you know, 2019 was a really special defense, but somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah, we get a top 15, top yeah. 10. Like. Then this team could be really good, you know, and especially in a weak conference with a bulk of games at home that, again, we say it all the time, Oregon hasn't lost at home since 2018 to Stanford. Um, that streak certainly is in jeopardy, and more likely than not, you'd have to say we'll come to an end this season. Yeah. But... It's still there for a reason. Autzen does change things, despite the complaints yeah, about yeah. the student section and <laughs> whatever else. Like, student it's, section improved last. It's been steadily yeah. improving. Like post pandemic, we're we got. I feel like last year was solid, but anyways. Yeah. <laughs> um, How are you feeling? I'm honestly, I'm feeling less confident about this schedule than when than when we first sat down in this room. Um, there's just a lot of games I could envision us losing. And I, you know, I, I don't need to keep reminding people, like, I am an Oregon fan. I have been all my life. I do not want Oregon to lose anything. Uh, don't call me, <laughs> don't call me a non-fan uh, because I'm expecting 
you know, less than a natty every year. But um, I don't know, man. The first-year head coach, like, again, the track record for a first-year defensive head coach, just, just not amazing in the world of college football. Um, and there's a lot of opportunities to get tripped up in the schedule. Like, I'm starting to think 9-3 and three is a lot more likely than 10-2. and two, And I'm honestly starting to think 8-4 and four is – pretty much a, it's a little bit more likely than 10 and 2 as well. Um, again, talent wise, I I can't like I can't argue we have like the best talent in the league right now. I mean, maybe Caleb Williams and USC. Yeah. Whatever. Who isn't on the schedule right now? Yes, exactly. Um, the expectation it's it's so tough because when you set expectations and we did this literally earlier this episode like it's so tough to have a line be the Pac-12 title for this team, um, because right now we're any. I think we're like averaging out at like two and a half place finish, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I think we're somewhere between two and three. Um, so to have that be your line is like really tough. It's either going to be failure if we miss the Pac-12 title game, or success if we make it. Even if we lose, I think most Oregon fans will be reasonable enough to say, like, you know, if we lose the Pac-12 title game, like, in all likelihood, it will be to a team that is actually better than us. Um, so, I don't know, man. I I don't want to get my hopes up as much as I did last season for this team. Because um, some shit, you know, we always find a way to fuck this up in November. <laughs> it's just the way it goes. Um, but... I, I think the it's certainly possible to see a scenario where Oregon makes the playoff. I think it's also equally as possible to see us have a disaster scenario. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it'll, it'll, it will require to make the playoff being consistent and good from a first-year staff. Like, yeah. it's Oregon's favored in 11 of 12 games. It's true, or a it's true a toss-up versus Utah, yeah. you know, depending who you take. But like, favored in ten, toss-up in one, and gonna lose one. If you win that toss-up versus Utah, and you win the other games, that you're favored by a touchdown in all of them. You know, the other ones are solidly favored. Yeah. Um. Th- then you you're right you there. have a, you're in a Pac-12 <laughs> title game to go to the playoffs in all likelihood. Um. But. It's a, it is a first-year staff, and that's a lot to ask from them. Do you think Aiden Four is the floor for this season? Uh, I mean, that. what I meant to start my last comment with, with is I think pretty much almost every scenario is on the table for this team. Like, I'm feeling a lot – I mean, last year when we had this conversation, Aiden Four was our absolute bottom floor, and, like, you know, playoff was, was the top ceiling. Um, now, I mean – you add in all these different variables. Like we know so little about this team relative to the year before. I think missing, I think honestly, like missing a bowl game is a possibility, possibility, not likely, not predicting it. Same thing goes for the, the playoff. Like I think any range of those possibilities is on the table for this team. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't say that last year. I think that I don't know. It's hard. I mean, missing a bowl game would be losing a lot. Would be losing all of these hard games, pretty much. You know. But I consider that like 
I'm thinking of it as like that's a bottom five percent outcome. Yeah. Where in years past it might like last year that would have been like a bottom point well, five. I mean, we saw it happen to USC and UW last year. You know, it happened to LSU. Yeah. Right. Like it can happen so to it anybody. Can, it can happen. Um, so I hear you on that front. I mean, I think it's pr- five and seven. It's pretty doomsday stuff. And oh, obviously course, you're yeah. saying that, but I get what you mean. I mean, there's there's. When I outlined this, I said, like, there should be only seven losable games on here. Eastern Washington, Stanford, Arizona, Cal, and Colorado should be wins from any competent staff. They just should be yeah. based on the disparity of talent. Uh, and the other seven are, are losable. Um, I, I think that in terms of how I define success, you know, I mean, obviously winning conference title would be instant oh, success. Course, yeah. You know, uh, making the conference title championship game would be pretty great as well. Um, but I think even just like you get to that final three stretch of games with two losses, let's mm-hmm. say, or maybe even three losses, um, and maybe injuries catch up to you. Yeah, or but something. you're but you're kind of alive for the conference at least there. You know, let's say you lose one to BYU, but you only have one conference loss. You're alive for the conference final yeah. three games, and we at least see an effort. You know, it's got to be competitive to somewhat. Like, maybe Utah's really good and wins by two scores. I don't want to see them drag us through, yeah. you know, and, and win by 30. And UW and Oregon State should be a split, at least, yeah. probably. You know, but if it ends up 8-4 and four under that scenario, and you split UW and Oregon State, you just weren't on Utah's level yet, and you lose Georgia, and you use, lose a BYU and Wazoo game. I think you know it, it's not it's not what we want to happen, but it's not even necessarily like the most realistic thing to happen. But I it would mean, be understandable. I wouldn't. It wouldn't. Yeah, uh, our win total is eight and a half consensus. Like, let's not get it twisted. That's juice to the over. So, like, the over is technically more likely yeah. based on Vegas, but. Again, our let me repeat myself. Our win total in Vegas is eight and a half. Period. That, that's that's all I really have to say about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd I'd still to put a bow on it. Like I'd say nine wins most likely, and I still think yeah. ten and two is more likely than eight and four. I felt that way, and I still would lean that. But um, I hear what you're saying. We just have so it's much good unknowns. Be a difference it's of hard. Opinion, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have so many unknowns. It's hard to fight. I'm just excited that like. We about to see some football versus Georgia and actual football, some man. games that we can win uh, after that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, can we talk about USC real quick before we get out of here? Because yeah, sure. since they're not on our schedule, we we don't really need to. You know, we didn't have to look at them in our outline, but um, it is obviously extremely important that we look at USC this year. Uh, they open up with Rice at Stanford, Fresno. Those should all be wins, like, pretty easily. I mean, I know the Stanford is, like, a whole thing for them, but, I mean, let's be real. Those should all be wins. Um, Then they play in week four. They go to Oregon State. I think that will be their first real test. Um, Still, though, you assume that a team with Caleb Williams, like, gets out of there alive. ASU, Wazoo, and then the Utah game. I mean, I'm looking at both Utah and USC schedules next to each other, and... Both of them, there shouldn't be more than like three losses between those two teams when that game comes up, like maximum. Realistically, I would say like one or two losses between those two teams. Yeah, I think point. we'll have to see if, if USC can make it through that first five stretch. With. If they start 5-0, and oh, I mean, 
they're they're for real. I think it's yeah. safe to say. Um, if they start six and zero, they're nationally for real, not just Pac twelve for real. Yeah. Um, then they get their bye, and then the cupcakes come in towards the end of the season for them. They get air. They get the three worst teams in the conference probably in Arizona, Cal, and Colorado. One, two, three. Then play at UCLA in a Rose Bowl game that they they should win. I mean that'll basically be a home game for them. Uh, and then Notre Dame in week thirteen, which you know is obviously an important one. Uh, Notre Dame also going through <laughs> head coaching change um, and a bunch of program changes, but. I'm really excited to watch this USC team this year. Obviously not as much as I am to watch Oregon. And, but, like, it'll be fun to have another nationally relevant Pac-12 team for once. Yeah, I mean, Utah's going to be really good, too. Um, yeah, but even um, last year, I mean, they weren't, like, threatening playoff or anything right. at any point. So. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely in the boat of root against USC, personally. Um <laughs> oh, oh! I'm not rooting for them yeah. by any stretch. I'm just saying it'll be like fun to watch and like have another important thing nationally happening in the Pac-12. <laughs> but, yeah, for sure. Also, I mean, everybody in the conference, it goes without saying, will be out for blood against USC and UCLA. Um, as yeah. should be the case. I mean, we saw what happened with Oklahoma and Texas last year. Like, honestly, I think the crowds played a huge part in all of those games. Like, just hating on each other and I mean the teams will play harder too like it's not just fans that get influenced by these things like you know the the student the I almost said student athletes dear god the players are on social media too they're fans of their own program too so, yeah. yeah I think it's interesting on those last two right now early lines are, are USC favored by two and a half against Notre Dame uh and by five and a half against UCLA those are two very close point spreads. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm. I. I wonder if they're just going to be able to. I think where I get hesitant on them is just will they be able to be consistent week in week out, not yeah. drop games, you know, to an Oregon State or uh, Fresno, maybe you know, Wazoo. Um, we'll see though. It'll certainly be exciting because, yeah, I mean, three teams in the top fifteen for the back twelve, and with how easy UCLA schedule. UCLA's schedule opens. They'll be in the top 25 at some point. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Um, And then Washington, Oregon State, like, very well could be top 25 at some point as well. Even Washington State State, has a chance. Yeah, and like I said at the top, I mean, everyone keeps expecting Arizona State to be bad, just like last year. They were, I mean, they made a bowl game. Like, they they were still one of the best teams in the Pac-12, power ratings-wise, and they were like, I think they started five and one or something like that. So yeah, as we've said a thousand times on this episode, we will see. Um, but at least now we have our eyes open on the schedule. So uh, you got anything else? I think that does it. Uh, we will be following this up. I want to do a full kind of recruiting catch up episode. Mm-hmm. Obviously a lot has happened in that regard since the last time we recorded. So if there's anything specifically you guys want uh to talk about let me know but i have more than enough of my own thoughts on kind of how the staff has done uh through their first eight months on the trail already um but yeah it's good to get back in the proverbial studio and yeah uh, (laughs) and yeah thanks for listening everyone yeah go ducks go ducks